Our Old Testament reading this morning is found in Ecclesiastes chapter 3. We'll read verses 1 through 8, found on page 664 in your pew Bibles. There is a time for everything and a season for every activity under the heavens, a time to be born and a time to die, a time to plant and a time to uproot, a time to kill and a time to heal, a time to tear down and a time to build, a time to weep and a time to laugh, a time to mourn and a time to dance, a time to scatter stones and a time to gather them, a time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing, a time to search and a time to give up, a time to keep and a time to throw away, a time to tear and a time to mend, a time to be silent and a time to speak, a time to love and a time to hate, a time for war and a time for peace. This is the word of the Lord. Our New Testament reading uh, will be from John 16. We will be reading verses 12 through 15. It is found on page 1083. I have much more to say to you, more than you can now bear. But when he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you in all the truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears and he will tell you what is yet to come. He will glorify me because it is from me that he will receive what he will make known to you. All that belongs to the Father is mine. That is why I said the Spirit will receive from me what he will make known to you. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning, friends. St. Augustine used to call his congregation Beloveds. He would just constantly talk to them as my Beloveds. Uh, it's a treasure and a treat and an honor and a slightly scary uh, to open God's word amongst your people. So um, grateful to be here today. I want to meditate this morning just on kind of the, the harmony that is generated when you bring together these two texts from Ecclesiastes chapter 3 and John chapter 16. And I want us to see that actually when you kind of put them together, at the heart of both of them is um, this truth that the God we meet in Jesus is attuned and attentive to time. That the God we encounter in the incarnate one is a God who is who understands that we are temporal beings, that, that the God who is eternal nonetheless knows that we are the creatures who inhabit time. So yes, God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And God knows that we are not. That's not true of us as creatures. 
We are these creatures that he has made who are immersed in the flux and flow of time's uh, um, unfolding, in the dynamics of history. God knows we get older. God knows that we are beings who inhabit time. And so I want to just spend a few moments in each of these passages. The first is that marvelous poetry of Ecclesiastes chapter 3. Some of us are old enough uh, to know this from the bird song, uh, uh, which, you, you know, is like, to everything, turn, turn, turn. There is a season, turn, turn. I mean, it's kind of crazy that in 1965, you could have a billboard top hit just by singing the Bible. And it's a really, really beautiful and profound truth. And, the, and it's opened up for, you, for us in verse 1. There is a time for everything, and there is a season for every action, the NIV puts it. It's not the most poetic. Uh, I think the King James says there is a season for every purpose under heaven. Now, the, the teacher of Ecclesiastes' point, there's a time for everything, there's a season for every activity. The, the teacher's point is not that God has some Google calendar up in heaven and everything has been appointed to happen when it's been scheduled. That's actually, that's not Ecclesiastes' point at all. Instead, when you look at the text again and you see this in context, the teacher's point is that we creatures, right, those of us who live under the heavens, we creatures experience time in seasons. This is the important insight. That to be human is to be the kinds of people for whom our experience of time is not just the kind of tick-tock, tick-tock, incessant chronology of an unfolding clock. To be human is to kind of experience time in chunks, if you know what I mean. We, and those chunks of time, the teacher calls seasons. They are uh, um, periods of time. We don't just experience episodes in our life. We experience these kinds of, these ways in which time sort of congeals into a theme, it feels like sometimes. And you realize, oh, I'm, I'm, something's going on. And it, it just kind of keeps being this kind of experience for a while. And we call that a season. And the teacher says, it is, it is normal and natural and creaturely to experience seasons of planting and uprooting. It is normal and expected to experience seasons of mourning and dancing. There are these chunks of time that we experience this, let's call it the seasonality of a human life, the seasonality of a spiritual life. Now, what difference would that make? I think there are a few sort of implications for how this might just frame the way we think about our spiritual journey. The first is to say that we experience life in seasons is to simply recognize that things take time. That may, might seem banal, banal and obvious, but things take time. Growth is never instantaneous or episodic. It's not like you go to the one event and you figure something out. There's a kind of 
dynamic of unfolding. Things take time. And so you have to sort of dwell with and remain in a season for that thing to happen, for that reality to unfold for you. To give you an example, I think um, we experience seasons personally. We also experience seasons collectively. We experience seasons as individuals. We can experience a season as a congregation. I think it's easy for us over the last decade to sort of now look back and be able to see that there were seasons that Sherman Street has had to walk through. And we're not in that season now. We're in some other season now. I think it's easy to recognize that our nation seems to be in a season of something. I want to suggest that one of those, one way to think about that season is it's a season of reckoning. It's a season of reckoning. It's a season of confronting our past and asking what kind of people do we want to be called into the future. And one of the things that will happen in seasons is you sort of realize, oh man, okay, God's kind of doing something right now. I'm in this season. Could we get this done? Could we hurry up? Could we get to the end? And let's be honest, especially in our country, if we are in some way trying to grapple with a racial reckoning in our country, let's be honest that a lot of white people want us to get over it, to get past it. Can we get to the lovely reconciliation? Nope, not until we have justice. So we can't rush seasons. What does it mean that we are seasonal creatures? Things take time. But there's the second sort of implication of seasonality. No season is forever. No season is forever. Now, if uh, you live in Michigan in February, it's very, very <laughs> easy to understand the significance and difficulty of being, of remembering this truth. No season is forever. I know like July 20 or January 27th, it felt like this month has been 6,000 years long. But you know what? This week, I heard a finch singing in the morning. And it reminded me, not even winter is forever here. And sometimes what we want to be doing is, even as we are undergoing and enduring the season, we kind of want to be listening for the finch's song. What's coming? I also want to suggest, though, that when God gives you the gift of a season of dancing, Dance, dance. It, um, we during the pandemic we became um, Pell evangelists, which is we are converts to Peloton. <laughs> and one of the sort of spiritual lessons I've learned from Peloton is take the recovery. Take right. You're going to work so hard for three minutes, and then they're going to give you a minute of recovery. It take time, and they always say take the recovery because you need it. If you have been given a season of dancing. Please dance for us. Please dance so we can watch and remember what it looks like because it will give us hope. And then don't be offended or hurt or surprised or think that God has it out for you if you have to step out of that season of dancing into a season of mourning. There is a time for everything. There is a season for every activity. 
The last thing I'll just say about seasons, um, it's actually, this is what's precisely behind the logic of what we call the liturgical calendar or the church's calendar that we observe. Some, so if some of you are new to Sherman Street, the liturgical calendar, the church calendar might also be new to you. Think of the church calendar as basically just a cycle for the people of God to live through the birth, life, death, resurrection, and ascension of Jesus over and over and over again. That's what the liturgical calendar is. The liturgical calendar is our annual opportunity to relive the life of Jesus, to live into that story. And that's why we are given these seasons that focus our spiritual life in a particular way. So we are, as Jordan already mentioned, we are, we are headed towards Lent. Ash Wednesday is this Wednesday. And Lent is a particular kind of focal season that I want us to feel invited into and say, this is a season that God gives us to do something in us. And so the question we should be asking ourselves is, when am I? Not where am I? When am I? When are we? What's the season we find ourselves in? So keep that in mind now as we turn to look at this gospel passage in John chapter 16. I especially want to focus on verse 12, which I think is such a remarkable word from Jesus. This is part of the upper room discourse. This is a, a sort of final, final, intimate uh, evening where Jesus is with his disciples. He knows what's coming. They don't. And there are so many promises that Jesus makes in this context. And one of the ones that I find myself holding on to is verse 12. I have much more to say to you more than you can bear now. I have much more to say to you, more than you can now bear. I am fascinated by that word now. Here is the incarnate God of the cosmos speaking to his disciples, speaking to us, and he's, he, this is another place where he recognizes that we are these temporal beings. And he says, I have so much to give you. I have so much to show you. I have so much I want to tell you. But you can't bear it now. You're not ready. You're not there. I don't want to put that on you just yet. And I want us to see that this is such a manifestation of God's compassion to us. That he, that God recognizes when we are and who we are in these moments. And given everything that he has to show us and give us and tell us, he also sort of exercises restraint, as it were to protect us because he says, where you are right now, you can't bear it all. You're not ready to receive it all. Friends, there are things we have to go through 
in order to become the kind of people who can receive new gifts from God. This is why time is not unfortunate or regrettable. Time is an incubator in which God is birthing in us new capacities, new possibilities, new ways of being receptive to the gifts and glories of what he has for us. The problem is you can't rush it. You can't fast track. There's no AP class to get you to the place to receive this new revelation of God. You have to go through something. We, we have to become different people to be able to bear the new gifts that God has for us. And, and there is this one, John 16 is wonderful because in this passage you see the entire Trinity is involved in this, right? So the incarnate son says, I have so much to tell you, but you cannot bear it now. And then he says, but when I ascend, I will send the spirit and the spirit is going to guide you into all truth. The spirit is the agency of God that is going to continue to unfold and unpack these realities, who's going to continue to give us new wisdom, new insight, new revelation, new understanding. And if you think that that promise was fulfilled in Pentecost, I would like to introduce you to Acts 10, Acts 15, Acts 18, where the church doesn't know what to do. Or at least... They have to work some things out. It's not like when the Spirit comes in Acts chapter 3 and Pentecost ascends, it's in Acts chapter 2. It's not like all of a sudden, oh, now we've got it all. It's not like you're in the matrix and, you know, uh, uh, Morpheus just kind of uploads and you, you now know how to fly a helicopter. It's not instantaneous. The Spirit continues to guide us into all truth. And the book of Acts is, in fact, the long witness of how much the Spirit is still needed to be guided into truth. Why? Because this promise is as long as history itself. The promise that the Spirit is going to continue to show us new things is as long as history itself. Gustavo Gutierrez said, to believe in Christ... To hope in Christ is to believe in the adventure of history. To hope in Christ is to believe in the adventure of history. And friends, I also want you to hear the promise this way. That promise of the Spirit is as long as your lifetime. It's as long as your lifetime. I have much more to say to you, more than you can now bear. This this sense that we have to undergo things in a season to be able to receive more from God. There's a, um, I was going to do some philosophy with you this morning, but I'm not going to subject you to that. If anybody wants to talk, we can talk about Hegel and the Owl of Minerva afterwards. Instead, I'm going to do Bruce Springsteen. That great Augustinian. There's a literary critic uh, named Rita Felsky who, in this marvelous book called Hooked, talks about, she's, she's interested in kind of like how we get connected to artworks, like how they become meaningful for us, right? How does this film, this poem, this song, this composer, how does that all sort of like connect us and we get attached to it? 
And she talks about this dynamic that she calls affective climate change. Affective climate change. What, she, what she's talking about is your affections are affected by works of art in different ways across. Does that make sense for you? Has this ever been your experience? And so psychologists have studied the way in which we can uh, um, change our relationship to a work of art because over time, even though we've encountered the same work of art, a movie or a song, we've encountered it hundreds and hundreds of times even perhaps, and that somehow at some point in a later stage of your life, all of a sudden it's like you've heard this song for the first time and you get it. Or you see, you know, you've seen this movie 16 times and then you watch it the 17th time and all of a sudden it's like a portal right to your soul and this movie is now in you. Affective climate change over time. And interestingly, psychologists study Bruce Springsteen fans. Okay. So this is, this is, this is real old white dude stuff. But listen, uh, um, there is this uh, constant testimony from Bruce Springsteen fans that they didn't really know how to listen to him until they hit 50. And I was thinking about this a lot. This is, this is, this is Gen X catnip for some of you. But I can remember, um, so the uh, Born, in, Born in the USA album, um, Dancing in the Dark. And for those of us Gen Xers who grew up as the MTV generation, the video for Dancing in the Dark is absolutely iconic because it's, um, what's her name? Courtney Cox's breakout opportunity where she's called up on stage to dance. So I'm 13, maybe 14 years old when Dancing in the Dark is like a top hit and this video hits. And it is, it's like he's dancing out, he's doing kind of like a weird, you know, anticipation of the Carlton. I don't even know how to, it's like, you know, white guy dancing sort of thing. And uh, he calls uh, uh, Courtney Cox up on stage. And Dancing in the Dark is this sort of like dance number when you're 13. Well, then you hit 50. And you're listening to this song again. And it opens by saying, I get up in the evening and I ain't got nothing to say. I come home in the morning. I go to bed feeling the same way. I ain't nothing but tired. I'm just tired and bored with myself. No 13-year-old has any idea what that means. Absolutely impossible for any 13-year-old to know what that means. But if you're 52, this guy's been reading your mail. You know exactly what he's talking about. And when he says, you sit around getting older, there's a joke here somewhere and it's on me. And you know those mornings that you feel exactly like that. And all of a sudden, Bruce Springsteen has written this anthem of your angst, your middle-aged angst. And you've heard it 800 times before you heard that. Affective climate change. Friends, I want to say, I want to suggest that like hearing that same song hundreds of times before you finally get it. God has more to say to us in his word that we haven't yet got. 
that there is something in us, for us, in the Word that we hear over and over and over again, and the way that we will get to the place of receiving it is precisely by giving ourselves over to the seasons in our lives and let God do the work in us so that we get new ears because we have new hearts. This is one of the reasons why, and it's, it's scandalous, especially for those of us formed in certain very exuberant forms of Christianity. This is why repetition is at the heart of the spiritual life. This is why repetition is at the heart of the Christian life because it's, it's exactly why we keep repeating the liturgical seasons over and over again. Why? Because every single one of us is a different person every time Advent arrives. Every single one of us has undergone something every single time Lent rolls around again. And so as we're preparing for Lent, this season of repentance, this season of encountering our mortality, again, I want to encourage us to ask, when am I? When are we? What am I going through? What season am I in? And then from that place, come to Lent with expectation. Come to Lent with expectation. What does God want to say to me in the now that I find myself? What are you newly ready for because of what you've come through? What, did, what can Jesus say to you this year that he couldn't tell you last year? So many of you are mourning. So many of you are mourning. And the journey of Lent is really a journey of yearning for resurrection. But it passes through the valley of the shadow of death. Unapologetically. And the psalmist's cries that you are going to hear in Lent, maybe this year they are going to give voice to a cry of your own that you didn't have before. The, the experience of being bereft on Holy Saturday is going to hit some of you in a way it never has before this year. But maybe that also means that Easter dawns for you in a way it never has before. Friends, maybe, maybe some of you feel like, to go back to Ecclesiastes, maybe some of you feel like it's a time to build and plant. Because you come through the season of tearing down and uprooting. Maybe this Lent, you're, you, you feel like you're finally in a place where you can be vulnerable to a God that you finally learned is compassionate. Who loves you all the way down. This is a season to build, to plant. Friends, maybe some of you feel like it's the time of giving up and throwing away. There's a time for everything, the teacher tells us. 
There's a time to give up. There's a time to throw away. But maybe it's precisely what you need to let go of that has been blocking your ability to experience God's incessant, steadfast, always love. Whenever you are, whatever season you find yourself in, God has good news to share with you. That's what we can rely on. No matter what season you're in, the God who is eternal and the same today, yesterday, and forever has always a word of good news because he is always the God with us. He's always Emmanuel. And so may this Lent and Eastertide be a year, maybe, maybe this is a year you finally get God's song. You finally hear the song of new life. And friends, I hope you hear that God is singing to you. Let's pray. Gracious God, you are eternal, you are steadfast, you are faithful, and you keep your promises. You are the creator, we are creatures who inhabit this time, but we thank you that you descend to be with us in it and that you have new things to show us, new words to give us, new aspects of yourself to unveil for us. Make us a people who are prepared and preparing for your gifts. In Christ's name, amen.